Welcome to the Keep It Clean Podcast. The Keep It Clean Podcast was developed around an idea of helping to inspire and motivate fellow cleaning professionals by listening to startup stories and histories of others in the business. Twice each month, we'll interview industry icons and colleagues and get their story of how they got started in this oftentimes wonderful and sometimes painful business of cleaning things for other people. Hopefully you will like, subscribe, and follow us so you never miss an episode. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast application, we'd appreciate that too. As always, thanks for listening. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Reg Rogers from Carpet Cleaner America. Hailing from Spartanburg, South Carolina, Reg Rogers of Carpet Cleaning America has been in the carpet cleaning world since 1994. While chasing his musical dreams around the nation as an Emmy Award-winning drummer, he finally realized that music would not support his ambitions of food and shelter. So when the rock and roll champagne dried up, he found his way into the carpet cleaning industry starting out cleaning apartments in metro Atlanta. Throughout the 90s and early 2000s, he migrated into high-end residential, wood refinishing, water damage, and finally into floor sales. After the housing crash of 2008, he took a huge leap of faith by teaming up with an Austrian company to bring over the world's greatest counter-rotating brush machine. At first, a skeptic on low-moisture cleaning, he soon realized that the CRB was something that he always wished for on a hot water extraction truck, but never even knew existed. Carpet Cleaner America was born in 2010 and since has evolved into a major component of the carpet cleaning industry by offering a multi-range CRB collection as well as low-moisture cleaning solutions. Hey everybody, welcome to the Keep It Clean podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Dane Gregory. Today, we have from Carpet Cleaner America, Reggie Rogers. Those of you who know him know that he's a big fan of the CRBs and the counter-rotating brush machines that Carpet Cleaner America sells. But today, what we're going to talk about is how Reg got started in the carpet cleaning industry coming from a little bit of a different industry. All right. Uh, hey, Reg, how are you doing today? Great. Glad to be on here. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know what? It's it's something that we could do. Like I said, I think you've got a very interesting story to tell. So let's start out with our first question for every guest. What made you decide that you wanted to get into the business of cleaning things for other people? Well, the business kind of chose me. I was a musician, down and out musician, struggling to make ends meet. And I've been working. I would had a lot of highs in the music world and then came some of the things came crashing down and reality set in and uh, I found myself in Atlanta with uh, no job skills, only drumming skills and uh, things of that nature. And when built time came, struggling to make ends meet and uh, I met a friend who was hanging out with the band, who's another musician, and I'd been working, you know, temp jobs, put I'd put in pools, I'd hung drywall, anything you can imagine. I'd done it all at that point. And this fellow friend of mine said, man, I can get you a job at a carpet cleaning place. I work there now and it's, it's great. And I was like, all right, tell me more. So he said he was make he was on a salary of $400 a month, which to me at that point was a gold mine. And I was, I told him, I said, absolutely sign me up. How do I, how do I get started? He goes, all right. He gave me the guy's number and it was a, it was an outfit in Atlanta that cleaned apartments. They had about, when I, when I came on, well, they, I went and interviewed and made up some, 
some backstory that I had a little bit of experience. And he said, all right, you're hired. So went out, trained with some really young kid that knew. And looking back on what, what he taught me, he was very advanced. This kid was 21 years old. Here I, here I am, I'm 26, 27 years old, coming off the road and music. And uh, this little kid's teaching me how to do all these crazy procedures, whether it be basic cleaning to uh, stretching, repair, spot dyeing, all this stuff, and sank my teeth into it pretty hard. And so I did it as, an, as it, it chose me. And so I fell into it and quickly rose up the ladder in this outfit. I think I, when, I, when I first came on, my first week, I picked up truck number 13 for the outfit. And so it was a 13-truck operation. By the time I left, we were up to about 40, 45 trucks running all around Metro Atlanta, cleaning apartments. And you, I, I went through a tech, then I was a tech supervisor, then a field supervisor, then I became a dispatch, and then all, I was a like a co-general manager for the outfit. And this was, a, I guess I say, I started in 94, middle of 94, and then I left that outfit in 97. So during that period, I came a long way. But I learned a lot. And if you're in and apartments, is a great place to learn. You can cut your teeth there and not get too many black eyes if you screw up. So I learned a lot of stuff from these guys and very rudimentary stuff in water damage as well, just basically uh, wet facts, ripping the pad out, sucking the flood, and uh, laying down an antimicrobial. That was pretty much the extent of what we did at that point. And then I left there and I went to just kept moving around to different outfits. I felt like I was climbing the ladder and it was, it saved my life. Otherwise I had no job skills. So to answer your question, I didn't choose it. It chose me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, well, just for our listeners to make sure that they understand and I'm coming to terms with understanding the, the concept. So you're on the road as a musician, but you're not a, somebody that's playing stadiums and, and, and that sort of thing, but a, a working musician regionally. I know you talked about playing uh, gigs in Florida and, and uh, kind of on the, all the Southeast areas there, but musicians that are playing that kind of gig, you're not making thousands of dollars every time you drum and or perform. And so it's a struggle but it's your passion, right? So you're, you're working odd jobs, swinging drywall and working on pools just so you can keep the music thing alive. And you reach a certain point where you go, ah, maybe this isn't it for me. Maybe this is not, maybe there's something else out there. And, and you fall into carpet cleaning. And like you said, apartments is a great way to learn. And, but you moved up quick because obviously you're somebody that's quick on the uptake and can, can figure that out. So you supervise that. So the next gig that you had, the job that you got in the carpet cleaning world, was it moving more into residential? Was it more commercial? What was the thought? Yes. What were you doing there? So at that point, outfit, we, I discovered an outfit in Atlanta. It was a, it was a franchise outfit called a Max Care. And they were a, uh, similar to a Stanley Steamer type organization. They had about 115, 125 franchises nationwide. And I got pulled into that. They were looking, they were actually looking at our operation to buy and the uh, owner couldn't, they couldn't come to terms. So they, they basically stole the prime employees, me being one of them. They, they pulled in four employees out of this operation. I was one. And that was, then I got introduced into high-end residential. And some of the folks there were ex Stanley Steamer guys and taught me a whole different way of cleaning carpet, a whole different way of dealing with people. And uh, dealing with residential is a whole different animal than it is dealing with apartment managers. Apartment managers definitely cut my teeth in how to solve problems, 
how to satisfy people and make things work, make things move forward. And being in residential was a whole different ball game. So yeah, in during that time, I didn't really get into water damage at that point either. We touched into it, but it was mostly cleaning, upholstery, applying protectants, and just general cleaning at that point. But I was also introduced into how franchise systems work, how the support system work. I got pulled into the franchise support arm of that company, and we were based out of Kennesaw at the time, and I loved it. It was a great job. The parent company around 99, 2000, they were, it it failed. And so the whole thing kind of uh, dissolved and everything was sold off. And I think some of the franchisees just bought themselves out of the contract or were let go. And some survived to this day, some didn't. But after that, I left and went with another company that uh, was also high-end residential in, in Atlanta and worked there for a few years. And also at the time, I, I one of the things we developed at, at MaxCare was a, a wood, a dust-free wood uh, floor sanding procedure. And me and a couple of other fellows, we launched a side thing. Once the company uh, kind of dissolved, and everything was being sold off. We said, well, you know what, we could take this technology and, and run with it, see how it turns out. And that became eventually the Bonakemi system, the atomic dust, I forgot what they call it now, a, a, it's a, it's a dust-free system for for sanding hardwood floors. Oh, so wow. that was that was rather short-lived. I sold out and got out because it was great. It was really hard to make ends meet. I was also working a carpet job at the time, doing both. And so it moved out uh, of my life. And eventually, Bona Kimmy bought the idea from the from the guys I left. And so that was kind of cool. I got to see that kind of grow and mature. And uh, then came back to carpet. Did that for a few years and uh, pretty much the same thing I was doing at Max Care. And then a, a friend of mine turned me on to floor sales. He was working for a company in Atlanta, a major installer that did uh, a lot of commercial, a lot of, they also did apartments and a little bit of residential, but mostly commercial, big, big jobs. So I started interviewing these guys. It took me about a year, but I finally got on with these guys and I wanted to cut my teeth. I wanted to see what floor sales was about, see if there was a, uh, what that looked like. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a couple of years at this place. And then I got hired by another competing floor company that was the biggest in Georgia, a company called Georgia Floors. And I felt like I'd landed in Oz. It was a dream job. I remember when I walked through the door, I see a guy walking in with a massage table and they were going upstairs and giving free massages to the employees. They would pay for it. And it was, I'm like, wow, this this is really cool. And I had a good salary. I was making a commission and uh, I was loving it. And this was about in 06, yeah, 06, 2006. Okay. And I was on top of the world, making more money than I'd ever made and just living it up. I thought it was, this was great. And then we were mostly anchored in builder, home builders. So as you probably remember in 07, there was some, some freaky stuff happening in our floor underneath our feet. And by 08, the company was struggling for its life. They were laying off people left and right. And it was a big company, it was a $90 million company. And it just dissolved right up under my feet. So that was around the beginning of 08. And my son was born a month. So I was laid off from this company and my son was born right the next month. And and so there was no work to be found. Nobody was hiring in the floor field or floor install field. Everybody was just tightening ship. And it was just, it was crazy. It was a bloodbath. And, but the beauty of that, the the silver lining was I got to spend 
the, the first I, about six months of my, my son's life with him. Oh, it, nice. Now it was scary. Sure. It was extremely scary, but it worked out in the end. And I finally bounced back into carpet cleaning. Carpet cleaning saved me again. And so another high-end residential company and worked there for a, a couple of years. I was the general manager and uh, trained guys. And I think we had five trucks at that point. It was a nice operation. And then that's when I got uh, pulled into the world of CRBs right around. I, I first right. saw it in 2009 and I'd never seen one before. And my brother-in-law, who was Austrian, said he had a business opportunity that he thought I might be interested in. And so I said, all right, I'll check it out. And I said, well, tell me what it is. And he said, it's dry carpet cleaning. And I went, you, you need to run away from that. I said, that stuff is junk. And he goes, no, really, you really should, uh, you should really check this out because I think you'll find it interesting. And I tried every which way to convince him that it was junk. And uh, he insisted that I check it out. Hmm. So I was living in Atlanta at the time. He was living in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I am now. And that's where I'm from and all the families here. And so I took a weekend. I kept listening to his pitch and I said, okay, let's go check it out. See what it's about. So I came up to his facility and on the north side of Spartanburg and a guy with a CRB dry compound and a little bit of end cap. I watched him get carpet cleaned right in front of my eyes, really bad carpet. And this guy had very little experience Hmm. and it blew me away. The smell of it, I'd never smelled anything like it. it had a very uh, interesting fragrance. and But the procedure, it was just one, two, three, four, boom, the carpet's clean. And I just stood there in amazement. I'm like, wow, this is a game changer. Well, and, all right. Let me, let me stop you there for a second because I want to go back and look at a couple of other things that you talked about before we get too far down that road because I, want, I definitely want to come back to that. But So you, the first company you did, you're, you're an apartment guy. You're eating up empty apartments. You're not really interacting with a lot of clients other than property management people. And so you kind of cut your teeth there. You got you get your one time, you get your rat nasties. I'm sure that there were several apartments yeah. that you really had to shovel the debris out of there. So you've, you've had a lot of experience in that three years, but you moved ahead. So you're off the wand maybe by the end of that company and you're managing it for, because you said you went from like 13 trucks to 40, 45. That's a big operation. Right? Big operation. There's not a lot of carpet cleaning companies that are that size. True. Okay. Get into the high-end residential side of it where you see a whole different side of life where now you're dealing with the customers and you're dealing with the clients and, and getting to sell them, maybe making commission with that. So you're you're kind of fat and sassy there thinking I've got this all dialed in, which is good. And then from there, you get into flooring sales. Flooring sales kind of in 2008, everything kind of flopped with builders everywhere. And then Carbogany comes back and you said it saved you. I find that an interesting interesting comment about Carbogany saved you from music. And like I've said to you before, as someone who's been in the Carbogany business, when I was a kid, you know little, I would have killed to be in music. And you saw the other side of that, and so you came in to the industry from that. So, you know, your brother-in-law, again, the, the, the Austrian connection there, you're in Spartanburg. Because I think it was the same kind of thing for me where I heard about this stuff. I was being in Wisconsin. I saw a lot of the host product that was around me, and they'd show, they'd do demos at trade shows. And I would literally roll my eyes and walk away kind of scoffing going, come on, Really? 
And some of it was because I didn't take the time to understand it. And I think a lot of us that were in hot water extraction kind of felt the same way. Ah, that's a bunch of hooey. We know what really works here. And we're not exposed to this other thing. But then when you see it and you get exposed to it, you look at this in a whole different way. So kind of give me that feeling when you saw what was happening right in front of you. And you obviously trying to figure out, all right, where's the trick here? Because it can't be that easy. That's right. It can't be that easy. How did this work? And so I had a counter-rotating brush machine in front of me, which I'm seeing for the first time at that point. And I said to myself, wow, I wish I would have had this out in the field on a truck, just scrubbing whatever I did just to take some of the work out of my arm. And But the second thing was the powder. I didn't understand how you could put something semi-dry on carpet and it come away clean. It made no sense to me. So after getting familiar with it and uh, playing around with it, then I understood the concept a lot better. But yeah, it was a paradigm shift because we were convinced that steam was the, or, you know, hot water extraction was the only way and anything else was subpar. It was not worthy of your time. And seeing this, it was a paradigm shift. Totally blew me away without a doubt. Oh. Were you able to ask them at that point, what makes this work the way it does? What's the, was there a secret sauce? Is there, is it smoke and mirrors or is it really, really clean? Yeah. So once I started digging and figuring out, okay, how the process works, it's basically, you're still delivering moisture to the fibers, but the carrier is instead of water, it's these uh, compound particles, which is basically a wood uh, product. And the delivery goes down into the fibers, the payload's released, then the payload is reabsorbed back into these particles and then picked back up off the carpet. So it's very similar to hot water extraction in a lot of ways, except without the excess moisture. So the carrier of water is not there. And so you have much quicker dry times, but you're still delivering a chemistry payload, very light chemistry payload to the fibers. And that took a little bit to get my head wrapped around. And but once I did, it was like, okay, all right, this makes sense. You're still following the rules of your normal cleaning process. You're still, you've got chemistry, you've got agitation, very little heat, but you make up for that in your agitation and very little dwell time, but with massive agitation. And that it was intriguing. And so I immediately said, okay, I'm down. I love it. Where do I sign? And so that's when we were born and early 2010 was when that happened. Wow. Yep. So by 20 about what eight to ten years already in the business. So this well, maybe not, maybe about six. six well, years. that was let's see, I started in ninety-four. Oh no, you so we're going way further back. Yeah, ninety-four I, and okay. and this was about yeah, so I was about sixteen years into it. So I had a lot of not a brainwashing, but I had a I was convinced that there was no other way. It was a lot to uh, rewind in my head. Right. And, and a lot of times we get, we, I know myself, I get caught up in that tool that we first see. When I got started in the carpet cleaning business, uh, my cousin did this down in the Chicago area. And I was on the janitorial side of things. And so I went with him for a couple of days and he had a portable extractor. And we worked in some of the higher end neighborhoods on North Shore of Chicago. And I saw the money that this guy was bringing down. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm getting into the carpet cleaning world. Right. And he talked to me about truck mounts, but I didn't even understand what the concept was. I'm like, a truck mount? I don't understand. So the hoses come in? And he said, yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't understand that. 
until I started to dig a little bit and research like you did and saw, and I was convinced that that was the only way you could do it because that's the only way I knew. And it sounds like it was the same thing for you. You had 16 years in that, looking at it from that angle. I, I'm about uh, 10 years, I started in 84, so I got about 10 years on you there. But again, I hadn't seen any other any other concepts. So, all right, so now we're, we're into this low moisture process with the, the absorbent compound. Uh, the, you mentioned encapsulation. Was, was there some of that available in, in, with the same company? Yes. Encapsula- you mean prior to that or with this company right here? Well, what, what, how, what, whatever you ran into it. Yes. I had never even heard of encapsulation. I, mean, I, I I'd never heard the word. And this, this system was developed with, you had a compound, you also had an encapsulation pre-spray. And once I dove into that, figured out how that worked, that was an eye-opener as well. But it, it still came back to, okay, where does the dirt go? And with our system, it had, we had these renovator trays on there, which when you put them on a CRB, it just extracts things out of the carpet on the dry side before you even hit it with, with water or any type of chemistry. And we were pulling things out that I didn't know was possible with this machine. And so the, the theory at that point while was, was explained to me was we get the majority of the soil load out dry. So that the rest, what you're left with are your residues and your spots and things. And those are relatively easily taken care of, assuming your chemistry. And at that point, I didn't know my chemistry. But the beauty of it is, is that this, these two, well, these three components, the machine, the compound, and the encapsulation pre-spray, I was really shocked to find that those three elements, you could get 95% of everything you came in contact with out. And that kind of, that shocked me because, you know, on my trucks previous to that, you had everything, but the kitchen sink on it, you had a rust remover, you had blood, you had tannin, you had this, you had a whole shelf full of stuff, which is great. There's, you still have to have that in certain situations, but I was surprised to find out how much I could actually clean with just these three components. It it blew, that blew me away also. And being that the, the initial focus with this system was commercial, we didn't run into a, little, a lot of urine. Um, that wasn't a, a, a huge, even though I was well-versed in urine removal and blood and, and rust and all that stuff, that's something you didn't really come in contact with in the commercial world. So when, as we got off the ground, got air under our, the main thing that kept coming back to me was the thought was, wow, I wish I'd had one of these on the truck when I was steam cleaning apartments or steam cleaning anything. This would have been a great pre-scrub method for that. And so I wanted to take it into that realm. I thought other cleaners were, and it turns out there were other cleaners that already had that mindset and they were using them, but they weren't getting a lot of exposure. So at the trade shows, we would let people know, hey, look, it's not only good for low moisture, but it's also good for pre-scrubbing your traffic lanes and your hot water extraction. And it started getting a little bit of groundswell and started to take root. And other people started professing the same thing. Next thing you know, it became, uh, the CRB has now become the, uh, one of the must tools have to have on your truck, no matter what procedure you do. It is a required mechanism and takes, especially for us old guys, it takes a lot of work out of the uh, scrubbing. And that's why I really like it because I'm old now. Oh yeah, well we're all yeah we, we understand that. So on that note, I'm going to ask you a really important question when we come back right after a word from one of our sponsors. Carpet Cleaner America's counter-rotating brush technology began in Austria in 1979 and continues today to be a force in the industry all across the world. Our CRV machines are sold in over 58 countries 
and several territories. These machines are legendary, dependable, and built to last a lifetime and perhaps longer. With all that history comes a bit of wisdom. Our machines are dependable enough to help you get more from your carpet cleaning process. Use our Pro or TM series machines to accomplish any number of tasks in your clients' homes or businesses. From carpet to tile to vinyl floors and yes, even hardwood, with our dry compound cleaning media, Carpet Cleaner America machines work on them all. From pile lifting to deep vacuuming, from agitating your pre-spray before extraction cleaning to low moisture encapsulation. From carpet to tile, we brush it all. And we pick it up too. Ask your local distributor for an Austrian machine made to last a lifetime. Or find us at carpetcleaner-usa.com. And we're back on the Keep It Clean podcast. Today we're talking with Reg Rogers from Carpet Cleaner America. And the question I wanted to ask you before we went to break was, you mentioned all that dry pickup. Wasn't well, that just something that the vacuum would get anyway? You would think. We don't, we, we've always been told that the industry data exists that says that 85% of your soil load can be removed with standard vacuuming. But after doing a CRB, after using a CRB and those collection trays front and back on, with go, using a vacuum and then going back with a CRB and seeing what you're pulling out, I find that data that I had been told, that, that 85% points, I, I, that felt a little bit embellished because there was a lot of stuff we were picking up even after a, a vacuum pass, slow yeah, vacuum I think pass. if I can just interject here, I know because – I teach some of the carpet cleaning classes. When I talk to my students, I tell them 74 to 79% of the soil found in carpet is dry particulate that has to come out dry. Now, I also go on to say, because I've learned the same thing that you've learned about pile lifting and, and other things that CRB can do, the vacuum might not reach it all because it's not designed to. The, the brushes aren't as long. There's not as many brushes. I believe on the bottom of a CRB, depending on the size, you've got anywhere from 24 to 32,000 bristle tips at one time underneath the machine. And so when you have that many bristle tips working in conjunction with each other, you might be able to get a little more out of that carpet. Plus, the brushes are longer to get all the way down to the primary backing. So what your vacuum may have missed, and maybe you can give us a little more insight into that, what your vacuum may have missed might be able to be picked up better with the CRB. Would you say that's a true statement? Without a doubt. Sand, heavy particulates, the stuff that vacuum just doesn't have the power to pull out, whether it be the bristle link or the power of the vacuum, it's there's a major, major difference between the two. And that was very surprising. I wasn't expecting that. And uh, a lot of people, when, when we first got air under our wings, we were showing to a lot of people, a lot of industry people, thought we were rigging these collection trays with dirt, and sand already in them before we did the demonstration. They didn't believe that that came out of the carpet that's been cleaned. And it was eye-opening for a lot of people in the industry, not only myself, you as well, but there's a lot of people that I've been friends with over the years in the industry and they were, their minds were blown as well. So yeah, yeah big difference. To think that our profession that we've chosen carpet cleaning, to think that our colleagues as carpet cleaners might be a little skeptical. I find that shocking. Yeah, I can't right. believe that. <laughs> We wouldn't trust anybody's word for anything. Uh, just read some of the Facebook page stuff. Just today, as a matter of fact, 
to read some of the stuff out there and some of the disagreements that we have as professionals. Yeah, we have to see it. We, you got to show me what I'm doing wrong before I'm going to believe you. And so you were able to do that. You're able to show people, look, here's the thing. Here's, here's how it works. And here's what your vacuum actually missed. That to me is a big eye opener. Without a doubt. It's a, yeah. And people who have in my position in Atlanta, I remember taking it to a fellow, a fellow trainer in Atlanta, everybody knows. And uh, he, he was convinced that I'd rigged those, you know, pre loaded those collection trays with dirt before I did the demonstration. And it's eye opening. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's very cool thing without a doubt. Yeah. So even then, so now you're working, you're, you're with on the timeline we're kind of working up today. You're with Carpet Cleaner America. You're moving along and now you're uh, deciding how you're going to get this pro- your product into the marketplace. And what were kind of the, some of the steps you took to do that? The major, okay, the, the major milestone, what really put us on the map was getting CRI certified. Being with a carpet company in Atlanta, being the general manager, I, I got up to speed on the Carpet and Rug Institute. We were a certified firm and I saw the importance of that in no matter what you did in, in, in as far as cleaning, you need to have their blessing. So I, I told my partners, I said, you know what? The biggest thing we could do right now is get CRI certified. Well, how do we do that? Well, I don't know. We're going to find out. So we, we talked to the guys down at the uh, lab in Dalton and me and my partner, Patrick, we made our trek down there and walking into this lab, it was uh pretty crazy. And we, it was like walking into Mythbusters on steroids. They, they measured everything and you really had to know what you were doing. We pretended like we did. And we had a little, some pointers here pointed out to us and maybe you should try these, maybe you should try this. And uh, we did. And sure enough, we passed, we got the bronze rating and uh, we, we had some help from other, there were other people that had, it was, it was a fairly well-trodden path at that point because we had some other people that did the same thing, have their system certified. And we looked at their procedure and fine-tuned ours and got the same results. So we were able to get that CRI certification and we made a press release about it in all the trade mags at that time. And that was, I think that was 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. And that was like a, a bomb going off for us because people started to take notice. They saw us, they saw our machines. It turns out some of the big distributors had already put their toe in the water with that machine. And they were unhappy with their the people they were getting from, and they wanted to come with us. And so instantly, within two years of our existence, we secured a big distributor and a lot of eyes just by basically getting CRI certified. That was really the pivotal moment for us. Okay. More so that, than anything. That seal of approval program made a big difference for you. And I know a lot of carpet cleaners don't pay a lot of attention to that, but it is kind of a big deal. The carpet manufacturing industry, I go back to when I was, they call it chairman now, but when I was there, it was called president of ICRC. We had a really hard time interacting with the carpet manufacturing world because they considered us a fragmented industry. There were several different trade associations out there. And so their kind of response to ICRC was to bring out the seal of approval program first for the installation of their product, which is a big problem for them because there was a lot of installers that weren't really following the, the, the rules on how to properly install with the proper tension and, you know, uh, stretching them properly and all those kinds of things. But then they kind of ventured into the cleaning side of things. And 
at first, a lot of us in the ISRC kind of got our backs up a little bit thinking, hey, what are you trying to do? This is our area of expertise and blah, blah. But at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is the carpet manufacturers really understand how their product is built, what kind of uh, things it can take, and what kind of things it can't take. And so obviously, they're going to have a huge concern as to how their product is serviced after they sell it to somebody. So what I learned from that whole process was we have to learn to interact with them and understand and embrace what the Carpenter Rug Institute has done, which is basically their spokes group, and, and with the sale of approval program, and understand that that means we got to kind of follow their rules because we're their Mr. Goodwrench, for lack of a better term, to really date myself uh, yeah. with, with, with kind of commercials I've seen on TV. So like you said, having that was a big deal. So you secure a, a good distribution contract with a big distributor. And now you're out there moving product and, and how's it looking? What's, what's, uh, what was happening with that early on? I thought the same thing. We knew that the, the governing bodies of the industry, it was better to play the, by the rules than not. Being carpet cleaners, we all, I thought I knew everything there was to know. And the cup was always full. My cup was full of knowledge. I didn't need any more. And as, you, as I opened up, well, having a paradigm shift of seeing a whole new procedure work when you didn't think it would told me, you know what? You don't know everything. You need to open your eyes a little more. And so being that you had ISCRC, and I was certified or uh, had all my certifications back then, but the CRI thing was, was, was a totally new thing to me at the time. Not totally new, but it was relatively new in my life. I guess maybe three years before that I discovered it. And the, it made sense to us. You want to play, you want to, play by the rules you want to because they know a lot more about their carpet and their and their and what they're made out of and how they should be treated than we as carpet cleaners do even though we thought we did we knew you could put castor oil degreaser on apartment carpet and nobody cared but you can't really do that in the, in the real world and i've seen that done by the way <laughs> i'm sure you have too but so yeah it was the whole experience was eye-opening without a doubt Okay. So what you're saying is, and essentially is you can teach an old dog new tricks. You can. Right? There, there, there's a process that you went through and I've gone through the same process. And so I'm, I'm always interested to hear it come from someone else's mouth that says, yeah, I, I thought I knew a lot. And then I realized I really didn't know as much as I thought I did because there was this way that showed me. And, and that shows in my mind, maturity. You're realizing that you don't have all the answers and that's a big step to improving oneself is realizing that they don't have all the answers, that there's some things out there that are still mysterious, but they just work. And there's sure. another, so you've got a, a process now that you can use that's essentially low moisture, which opens up a whole new world for people. And, and when you mentioned big distributor, I worked for one of those big distributors and that's where I first met you and Patrick, because the big distributor that I worked for, your machine was one of the things that we sold and I had to get up to speed on it really quickly. And I remember seeing it for the first time. I had seen the Whitaker machines before and I had seen some of the uh, Windsor product out there that, that was in the same cylindrical brush, counter-rotating brush idea. But the renovator trays is what really caught my eye because when I saw what it picked up dry, I remember thinking to myself, that's a pile lifter. And because and because I'm a little bit older and I've been in the industry a little bit longer. I know what a pile lifter is. And a lot of the listeners know what it is too, but we refused to use them because they were too slow. 
on times where you had you had to use it to get down and get all that debris out, you would use it. But the pile lifters, and I remember the certified, the hill, the, the hydroforce that were available to us, you pull them backwards like a muscle up and pull that thing backwards with that brass brush rolling and throwing all this stuff into the catch tray. You were moving at a snail's pace across the carpet. And I was more involved on the commercial side of carpet cleaning. So moving at a snail's pace was not something that we wanted, we're interested in doing ever. And so when I saw this, I thought, that's a pile lifter, but it's fast. It, it just scoots right across the carpet. To me, that was the game changer moment for me when I saw that. I said, I could pick up all this stuff dry, and I have an answer for the question now, as you mentioned earlier. Here's where the dirt goes. Yeah. We did it before we applied the detergent charge to the product. So, yeah, we we would go around to different trade shows, and we'd, and we'd you know, sit and talk with you guys, and we had a lot of opportunities and a lot of fun just going through that. So when we come back, we're going to do another uh, quick commercial break here, and we're going to come back, and I'm going to ask you a question about looking at it from the learning part of what you did. Let's go back to the early part of your career, what you learned in that first year. So we'll be right back with Reg Rogers from Carpet Clean America right after this. I can see it now. Your cleaning company markets on social media, but you're not seeing the results you'd hoped for. You often wonder about what to post and if another before and after will finally convert more sales. Hi, I'm Ashley Gregory Hackett. I'm a digital marketing coach and I grew up in the cleaning industry. In fact, you're listening to my dad's podcast right now. I've created a solution for cleaning business marketers that takes the struggle out of social. The Content Cleanup, 50 done-for-you social media templates that will allow you to set your social in as little as five minutes a week. Along with my proven spotless social system, you'll spend less time on your social media with bigger results. For a limited time, the Content Cleanup is available at a significant discount. Don't wait. Visit ashleythecoach.com slash content cleanup. Hey, we're back on the Keep It Clean podcast. We're with Reg Rogers from Carpet Cleaner America. And I just asked him kind of a leading question to go back into his early part of his career and think, uh, what, did, what did you learn about the carpet cleaning process? Maybe when you went from the apartment group to the residential group, you know, what was the biggest learning challenge that you had back then? Going, okay, so from going from apartments to residential, the biggest learning well, the, the biggest thing that it took me a while to get my head wrapped around was that were the wand stroke. I went from, we would walk into an apartment and you were running your detergent through the wand. You, there was no pre-spray. There was no vacuum. There was no anything. You And there were guys that would even just, as they were walking in the door, they would have a couple of loops of their hoses on their shoulders and they would have their truck already running, walking into the, to the apartment and they were spraying into the air and spraying in each room and just spraying it around. And basically that was their pre-spray. And then they would just throw the wand down and do the extraction as quickly as possible because volume was key in that industry or that, that sector of the industry. And then going to residential, it was more about you want to take your time and put on a show. You want to get it dry fast. In apartments, yeah, you wanted to get it dry fast, but at the end of the day, you crank the AC up or the heat, whatever, and it's going to it's gonna 
bake it out or, or freeze it out and you'll be dry in four, six hours. In the residential world, the if you make a mistake, if something stays wet too long or if you have a, a recurring stain or whatever that comes back, you get hit much harder. And especially in this day of, of social media, that can give you a black eye really quick with other customers. Back then, social media wasn't really a factor, but people talk. And but p- pleasing the homeowner who's you know walking around with you and they want to watch you and hawk you and that it that was the big it was a big change a big relearning was to how to do the proper procedure on what had what had been established in the higher end clean the Stanley steamers they had a specific wand stroke that I'd never seen done before and I thought it was excessive but now looking back on it, it made total sense. You, it was it was a pretty complicated wand stroke as well that we were teaching our franchisees at MaxCare, and that was the residential world. My introduction into that, and it was uh, a whole different set of truck types. I went from your your propane heated uh, little giants uh, with a twenty horsepower Briggs and Stratton motor and maybe a three or four size blower on it to a a ProChem four hundred five, and that was a that was a little bit of a learning curve as well with a heat exchanger on it and yeah very eye opening but the main thing was just the difference in the customer you're trying to please. Sure. Well, yeah. Now your customer's there. The apartment is empty, empty. right? I mean, the property manager might be on site or the lo- the local manager, but your customer isn't living there yet. They may be moving in in a day or two, whatever. So you got plenty of time for that, and so it, it's it's challenging. I always try to explain that to the students that I'm working with. And I say, the variable is the customer. The carpet is pretty much the same no matter where you go. Yeah, you can have a different process. But the other thing I want to ask is, you can't just say that you had a pretty complicated wand stroke. you got to tell us what that wand stroke is. Can you describe it? Yeah. The, so the wand stroke we were teaching, I remember seeing the guys show that in one of the training classes. And it was, you spray up, you pull back, spray up pull back and then go forward and then pick your wand up on the, on thank you, on the front of it and move it over one wand length and then spray coming back, drag up, up for one coming back again, wet. And then you're going forward to the, to the wall or to your, you know, overlapping next uh, round dry. And then you pick the wand up on the front end, like at the top of your stroke and then move it over. That's what apparently Stanley was teaching at the time. They may still do. But it was funny because we hired a lot of ex-Stanley guys at, at, at some of the outfits I was uh, with in Atlanta. And they were the guys that I, I had to train the least. They had a lot of good habits. Mm-hmm. And people rag on people like that. But I'll tell you what, the guys I ran into, I mean, you can get a clown every once in a while. But they were always much easier to train and to get a good job result out of anyone else that you would run into other than if you train somebody from scratch and you know with no bad habits but yeah so that wand in my prior doing apartments it was just you didn't even have to let off the triggers (laughs) as fast as possible well you got no pre-spray so you better not lay off the trigger otherwise you're not going to get any any of the soil out yes but again the no pre-vac and i get it it's it's all about volume in that world and i understand that i I worked with a company down in northwest arkansas that was cleaning you know one guy would do 22 apartments in a day and I'm thinking to myself, how, how is that even possible to do that? I mean, if they're right next to each other, I see there's potential for maybe a shot there. But if you got to drive the multiple complexes and, and different things like that, but it just, 
interesting to me, so many variants on the different business models that are out there, the different procedural models that we deal with. And then, so you fast forward to the the 20 teens where you're now working with Carpet Cleaner America with a whole different concept on cleaning carpet. And, but it's catching on. Like you said, the the CRB is one of those things now that every cleaner is looking at it going, I really got to have one. To me, it's the versatility. When I look at it, I see what it does for carpet, but you also had a pretty happy discovery not that long ago about hard surface floors. Give us a little bit on that where you discovered that wood, uh, the cleaning on a hardwood floor possibility. Yeah. So I had tile floors. I lived in Atlanta and, and for a while before I moved back up to uh, South Carolina. And I had a lot of tile with, with these giant grout lines. And one day I used to clean it with a, I used to clean that with a, a hot water extraction, this tile floor. And one day I just had an idea. What happens if I throw some of this compound down on it, scrub it in, see what happens? Just out of curiosity more than anything. So I did that and I was really surprised at the results. This was early on into the you know, lifespan of, of Carpet Cleaner America. And I was still kind of figuring out what it could and couldn't do. And when I saw the result on this tile, that was an eye opener. So fast forward a few years, we were doing an event out in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and we were cleaning the hotel where we were staying. And there were everybody, you had all these cleaners, all these steam cleaners were jockeying for things to clean. And they, I was basically last to show up in, in the scenario. And I'm looking at some, some engineered flooring next to the, uh, to the front desk. And it was, it was just very trafficked. It was very light wood and the traffic lanes were just super, super uh, bad. There was gum and there were a couple of rugs. And so I lifted up one of the rugs and I saw the actual color of the wood. I'm like, wow, look at that. So I said, I thought to myself, I'm by myself at that point. Everybody's hustling and throwing out hoses and pre-spraying and this, that, and the other. And so I threw a little bit of compound down in, in, in one of the areas and just scrubbed it in without anybody seeing it just to see what it would do there. And the result I got was blown away. It responded really well. And I matched, basically, I kept cleaning over to where that rug was. And I lifted up the rug and I just basically matched what I was seeing up under the rug. So I called the event planner over and uh, said, hey, man, you might want to go check this out and see what you think about this and see if it's okay if we clean the rest of it. And uh, he came over there. He goes, and he was blown away. And so uh, next thing I know, I had 50 people surrounding me watching me get this this floor clean and we were all blown away. So, you know, that was the eye opener for me. And we have taken it into other areas, the LVP, laminates, wood, you can do it on wood, you can do it on tile. So anything you can, it's, it's great for things that you don't want to put a lot of water on, uh, hardwood floors, things of that nature. And it gets down to the nooks and crannies and you can't screw it up. That's the beauty of it. You really can't mm-hmm. screw it up. And that's a that's a hot the the tightrope's much lower at that point. You can take a guy and uh, teach him the basics of this process, and he's not going to really screw anything up. You can sleep better at night, especially if you're a multi truck opera- operator. And but yeah, that was that was a that was a nice surprise is to see how well uh, hard surface responded to the compound. Mm-hmm. And and just to be clear, you're not talking about what we basically we cleaned. You cleaned the hardwood floor. But it wasn't like it was ready to recoat at that point. It wasn't like you had done before with the kind of the scuff and recoat thing. It didn't do any of that. Just cleaned what you had on there, removing the soil from it. 
correct? Right. Just the soil buildup on top of the finish. Assuming the finish is still there in some form, you definitely want to stay within that. You want to make sure the finish is still there. If you've got missing finish, that's kind of a deal breaker. You're going to have to do a sand or a sand it at that point. But in what we've encountered so far, there was always been a finish there and because you're basically cleaning the finish. But, you know, when you have people traipsing in, checking into their hotel, there's not a lot of downtime in, in a place like that. And this was a nice, pleasant surprise. You could still clean it, get it dry instantly, and not disrupt the uh, chain of events that was happening in this in this hotel check-in area. Hmm. So that was, okay. that so was cool. The, the compound on carpet, obviously, along with the end cap, you've got the satio tile that you talked about. So I would imagine ceramic and other things. And again, if it's super, you know, if you're talking about like a restaurant kitchen, this is probably not the option for that. But if you're Correct. talking about someone's ceramic tile in their hallway or, you know, maybe in their entryway or something like that, it's probably going to do a nice job in those situations. So it's versatile enough to get on a lot of different places and things. So that's great. I mean, that that's always good information to have. I love as a cleaner, I loved having tools on my truck that actually made sense for me to use for multiple things rather than just one, you know, like a one trick pony type of thing. So, you know, there's a lot of different things it can do. So that being said, thank you for taking us kind of down your history and your path. What kind of advice would you give to someone just getting started today if they were starting their carpet cleaning, you know, world in today's marketplace? What kind of advice would you give them from something you've learned back in the past? Well, the hardest thing to do in any industry is to get a customer. So you you definitely want to brush up on your social media skills and create your branding. The car, cleaning the carpet at the end of the day is relatively easily. You can teach that to somebody. You can be taught. The hard part is learning how to treat customers, learning how to solve problems, and learning how to get the customer. So my advice to somebody hopping out there is watch what other people do. Look how people are acquiring customers and, and also learn techniques on how to deal with people from really nice restaurants. People that have, uh, when you go into a restaurant, you see a, a great waiter, learn their technique, watch what they do, watch how they treat you, because that, those are skills that you can take into this industry and really, really run circles around everybody else. Because there's a lot of people just don't know how to deal with customers. They're too shy. They're just, their, their personality type is not really good for that. And so if you learn some of the techniques that I've seen in, in with good waiters and our good bartenders, things like that, things we all, we all see every day. Those you see how to treat a customer. Those are the big. Those are the hardest things to learn. And you know, some people just aren't born with that. Some people are natural problem solvers, natural great temperaments to deal with with customers. But yeah, those are that would be learn how to get and keep customers. That's that's probably the most difficult thing in this industry, in my opinion. The the car, cleaning the carpet's easy. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that. I, you know? I think you're you're spot on with that. Again. You know, the customers are variable. They're all going to be a little bit different. And you've got to learn how to deal with multiple customer types also, which makes it uh, always interesting. Well, Reg, hey, thank you very much for sharing your story with us. Again, I, I, I always marvel at someone who's in the world of rock and roll, which I play air guitar. I'm really good at it. I've played air drums occasionally. I'm not as good uh, because the guitar, I think, gets way more attention than the drums do. That's just been my personal take on it. But yeah, for those of us who, always dreamed about being in music. And for someone who's been there, it's it just appreciative to, to see that somebody came to our little industry and brought that perspective with them to say, hey, you know what? 
I can make some money over here. And now, uh, just so we go, do you still play? Do you still uh, every once in a while get out and uh, get, get on the drums? I still play, not as much as I did back in the day, but I, I just got to knock the rust off here and there. Probably, I guess I would consider myself better than ever, but yeah, my stamina is probably not what it used to be. And the opportunities aren't there like they used to be, but you know, at the end of the day, it's life takes you where you, you're, you're supposed to go. And in this situation, it has, I, I do miss playing, but you know, I also like to have food on the table. That makes a big difference. <laughs> and so, wasn't it just a couple of years ago that I remember you got a call from somebody you knew from your music days that asked you to come out to LA and play the Viper Room with them? Yeah, that's right. The last thing I did, the last big thing musically I did was in 2014, I recorded a record with a, a fellow down there in Atlanta and he had some gigs lined up around and one of them was the Viper Room in, in LA. So we flew out there, did a one Basically, we flew in that day, played that night, flew out the next, and it was nice. It was uh, it was really cool. The music, I've got a lot of, of experiences in my head. I've got a lot of pictures. I've got a lot of recordings I've done. I've got an Emmy Award for one of the songs I did for a commercial. And I look back on that, and it's, I'm amazed that I had that opportunity. So yeah, I thought I was going to be a rock star at one time and it didn't pan out, but boy, I tell you what, I'll cherish the memories that I have and, and, and what I came with, came away with. I'll cherish that till, till I'm in the grave. So mm. yeah, no regrets. You may be the only carpet cleaner professional I know that has an Emmy. So <laughs> that's, that's something you can proudly say to anybody. Yeah, I got an Emmy. That's yeah. what I've got. Well, good for you. And Reg, again, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for engaging our listeners in, in some of this stuff. I think they're going to find it fascinating. So again, we wish you the best and I uh, hope we'll see you down the road not too, uh, not too long. Awesome. I enjoyed it. So All long, right. everybody. Take care, Reg. Well, thanks so much to Reg Rogers for being on the podcast today. I really felt he had a very interesting story to tell about uh, kind of the same way a lot of us get started in the industry where we start out with apartments and do some of the things we have to do, but he certainly took it in a different direction from a very different direction. So thanks much for that. And if you stay on the uh, podcast after the end of this, by the way, there's a little uh, bit of a commercial from Larry Cooper in the Experience Show kind of giving us what's going to happen uh, here in Las Vegas, September 8th, 9th, and 10th. So just listen past the outro as we go. So thanks again. Another edition of the Keep It Clean podcast is complete. I hope you find our topics and guests refreshing and inspiring. And I also hope that you will like, subscribe, and review us so you won't miss a single episode. Hi, this is your host, Dan Gregory, wishing you well in your cleaning and restoration endeavors. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, keep it clean.